0: Welcome to The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and I'm coming from the top ropes, slamming down onto the mat for this one. And I'm joined this week by my co-host and friend and the man that keeps telling me I can tap out at any time, Jesse. How are you doing, Jesse?
1: I'm good, man. Um, You can indeed uh, tap at any time, but... I feel like I just got walloped over the head with a steel chair, so I don't know what the hell is going on. I I wouldn't listen to me.
0: Yeah, and is our ref Triple H just sitting in the corner not doing anything?
1: Pretty much, yeah. He's not even letting letting the trainer throw up the X so somebody can come check on me. I'm just cut <laughs> in the corner somewhere.
0: Wonderful. Well, this week uh, we've actually it's been a while since we've done one of these, hasn't it? Um, on this yeah. particular topic.
1: Yeah, uh, it's been a hot minute because I believe last time we did this, you asked me if I could find a more lighthearted topic uh, in this genre to do an episode over, and all this time later I couldn't think of anything, and so now it's just been long enough to where we can get into some more of the drama, uh, which there is plenty,
0: so. Wonderful, how depressing. (laughs)
1: I wouldn't say depressing is the word I would use this time. This is more like man, what the fuck is even going on right now? Type of deal. So <laughs> should be happy.
0: Okay, perfect. Well uh, you're uh, I'm I'm tagging you in on this one, Jesse, because you're the guy that knows actually how to do this stuff. So uh, why don't you take us away and tell us what's happening in the fine find world of uh, wrestling.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Just as a bit of a recap uh, for those who may not have listened to our other wrestling episodes, maybe it's your first one, in which case, and I got a doozy for you uh, for your introduction to our show, so you're welcome. But last year, I, I kind of did what I would call laying the land for Michael in terms of professional wrestling or wrestling, as some people call it. And kind of broke down what's been going on with the WWE what's been going on with the recently uh, started promotion all elite wrestling or better known as aew and kind of just breaking down what has been what have been some of the, the biggest developments who the top talent are etc and then that transitioned into... We did an episode around the wrestler CM Punk, who was a very infamous WWE superstar at one point, we'll say, for various reasons, his career, his fallout with WWE, because as of last August, he made his long-awaited return to professional wrestling when he signed with AEW. And then we did a third episode about... One of Punk's heroes, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart, and one of mine, and went through his career. Some of the things that happened to him. We really got into the shit a little bit, and I think I bummed Michael out a little too much, and so we had to stop. But uh, yeah, now we're back, and I would say it's probably been a little over a year, Michael, since we did that that first episode where I kind of I set. I set the scene for you in terms of professional wrestling and my God, how, how much, how quickly things can change in a year. It's what I'll say. I'm
0: excited. To, I'm excited to hear Jesse.
1: So we'll talk about the elephant in the room first, because even if you're not a wrestling fan, if you've never watched a WWE program in your life, this might've been something that popped up on your newsfeed or on your social media at some point. Um, As of July 22nd, uh, Vince McMahon, who had a 40 year career that spanned from the early 1980s into, you know, this modern age where he took his father's wrestling territory and took that regional promotion and turned it into a multi-billion dollar publicly traded corporation. Um, And probably a name that most people know, even if they don't know anything about wrestling, as him being the owner of WWE, um, retired from his roles as CEO and chairman of the board on July the 22nd. Vince had temporarily stepped down from these roles in June after the Wall Street Journal reported that the company was investigating a $3 million settlement Vince was paying to a former employee he allegedly had an affair with. Ooh. I know. Scandalous right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, During this time, uh, he remained head of creative, and he even made, as in classic Vince McMahon fashion of fuck you, I'm not going anywhere, made a public appearance on SmackDown, one of WWE's flagship shows, seemingly to show that he was there to stay. And he was doing that, you know, for a while after that story broke. But then in July, the Wall Street Journal came back and reported that Vince had not only agreed to that $3 million settlement, but that he had agreed to pay more than $12 million to four different women formerly affiliated with the company to quell allegations of sexual misconduct and, and fidelity. Woof. Including, yeah. Woof. <laughs> Including, uh, a talent or an employee who was a wrestler during the diva era of the mid two thousands. Um, so this was the one that I think the board of directors saw that or maybe knew a little bit more than has been publicly revealed and said, dude, you got to (laughs) go enough, (laughs) enough. Um, And shortly after that, he announced his retirement from WWE. Um, Despite all this, because again, it is publicly traded company. Vince is still the majority shareholder of WWE. I think he owns 38% of the shares and even though he's not on the board he's no longer CEO he's no longer really has anything to do with the day-to-day operations of the Empire that he built um, he is still a majority shareholder, so I guess a sale of the company is possible but Michael I never thought I would see Vince McMahon retire for any reason and so when it actually happened I was fairly shocked because like I said he's always had that kind of fuck you I'm not going anywhere mentality and never thought I would see the day
0: yeah I would about to say like it seems like he's uh, a larger than life persona I remember um, when we were when you were introducing me I should say uh, to wrestling and all that shebang. Um, my father even mentioned like, he was like, oh, I remember like Vince McMahon, but like he was, they, they like would make fun of him and called him like a pencil neck, a little dweeb and stuff like that. And would like yell at him to like, get over here. And they like beat him up and stuff like that during. And so he was just saying, it was interesting that he was now like this ripped dude on like men's health, because definitely that was all natural. No possible way steroids were involved at all in that transformation.
1: Oh. <laughs> Of course not. Wait, who, who was they? Who was beating him up and hazing him?
0: I don't know. My dad, I mean, this is my dad remembering it. So maybe, maybe he just missed, maybe he just didn't remember it correctly or like what was going on. But that was, he. that's what he told me when I, when we would like talk about like wrestling or like hit, I put wrestling on at the house and stuff. He would be like, oh, that's, oh, that's Vince McMahon. Like, wow. I remember when he was like a pencil neck little dweeb and I was just <laughs> like, oh, okay. Sure, I ran. Dad.
1: Yeah, if you go back and look at old clips of him from, say, the 1980s when he was not really an on-screen presence so much as he was a commentator and more Maybe. of a media personality for his own company, um, he definitely struck that vibe of being a, a pencil-neck geek. So I can <laughs> I see what you're saying. I, I think I remember Jesse the Body Ventura, like, bullying him a little on commentary so maybe that's where that stems from
0: but yeah maybe yeah I
1: and mean, the body wasn't predator after all
0: so he <laughs> well, he was um but uh yeah he was it, a sexual tri- Tyrannosaurus rex jesse he was and he <laughs> governor
1: of minnesota the guy had a pretty wide spanning career <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah, I think it was pretty surprising. And I think one of the things I'll say, and because when we had originally started, you know, planning out this episode, we wanted to feature it like solely on Vince McMahon. And I was going to get into some of his other mishaps that he had throughout his career. And we were going to kind of go from beginning to end. But I don't think... We have all the information yet. I know for a fact that Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, which I I don't know if you've ever watched that show, Michael, but um, they do a lot of investigative reporting and journalism um, and are not afraid to pull punches or shy away from the truth. But they're developing a piece on this story and on Vince's fallout from his own company. And, it's said to be incredibly damning, probably not just for him, but for some of his lieutenants that were, you know, some of part of the inner inner circle of WWE around him. And so I'm not sure we've seen the end of the fallout from this. It's it's kind of like the black cloud hanging over WWE right now. And I don't know. I, I think we're gonna see see some more things come out and they're probably going to be not great for Vince or any of his, his top guys. So.
0: Very, very exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we will revisit that once I, once that story drops or once we have, you know, the full scope of what happened here, it's best we can be a, being a two-man show uh, with no connections to the industry or any insiders <laughs> or anything, but we'll, we'll do our best. Um, but uh, I would say, yeah, some more shit's going to come out, and it's, it's going to be interesting. But in the wake of Vince's retirement, uh, his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, uh, has assumed the role of chairwoman and co-CEO. Um, more of the CEO on the wrestling side of things, Um, Nick Kahn, who is the other co-CEO, has a background in sports media and broadcasting, and so he's handling the more business side of being the chief executive officer, and Paul Triple H-Levesque is now the chief content officer, which means He's head of creative and talent relations. So, uh, daughter and his son-in-law are running the show now. The good thing about that, and it's it's shitty that this is what it took for this to transpire, because Vince, for a long time, has, you know, it's like that Simpsons meme, right? Where it's the principal, and am, am I out of touch? No, it's <laughs> children who are wrong. And, And Vince has really embodied that meme for a long time, the way that he's booked his shows and made creative decisions, and it's ruffled the feathers of various wrestlers, uh, not just CM Punk, but also fans and even the media alike. Um, Whereas Triple H, who for a long time was head of creative for NXT, WWE's developmental brand, And his approach to booking shows and the decisions he was making was far more well received from a fan and audience standpoint than what Vince was doing with his main shows. So it's been an ambition, I think, for fans to see Triple H actually have a chance to run the whole shebang and not how we wanted to get here, but silver lining I guess that he was the one he was next in line for that and what's crazy about that is he actually had to step away from NXT uh, in late 2021 he had a a chronic heart condition that required surgery and also due to this he officially retired from wrestling he had been quote-unquote unofficially retired in his own words but uh, had still occasionally returned for, you know, a one-off match at WrestleMania or whatever. Um, but now, you know, had to hang it up for good because
0: Ticker can't handle that more. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that seems like a dangerous line to be treading there.
1: Yeah, and he's he's a pretty smart guy, so he, he's smart enough to leave well enough alone. Um, but um, he made a return to the company in the spring on you know the backstage slash business side of things and was chosen as vince's successor to you know book the shows and make all the creative decisions And his absence um that has been that has been in place for a little over a month and in that month uh WWE's programming has noticeably improved. It's resulted in more consistent booking, a greater focus on wrestling, and less of the sports entertainment style shtick that Vince was so fond of, and a noticeable increase in the number of women being featured in main storylines and angles. Um, Triple H is notorious um, for ushering in a revolution of sorts for women's wrestling and putting it on the same level as the men in a lot of ways. And that's started to pay dividends now on WWE's main roster. Uh, Morale is also said to be greatly improved backstage. Uh, Everyone from talent to producers to commentators are under less strain and feeling more optimistic about the way things are headed. And as a result, viewership for WWE's programming has also increased over the past month. So as far as, you know, current outlook beyond that black shroud of what else (laughs) is going to happen because of what Vince was doing for all these years, things are a little rosy for the
0: old world wrestling
1: entertainment right
0: now. Well, that's exciting. I mean, question, Jesse, for you. Sure. Yeah, so with... Triple H coming back to this like this form uh coming back and like being in charge of the f- format. I don't know if that's correct the correct term, but um sure. is it possible that we might see some wrestlers that have left the WWE because of their uh ill feelings towards Vince? G? I, and I obviously this is all speculation, but do you think we're gonna start seeing some of these guys that were like, oh, I'll never fucking work with them again, I'll never deal with them again, I don't wanna ever be in a wwe ring ever again if they start seeing some of these changes that you know unfortunately had to take some guy you know being an asshole and a huge asshole and you know, potential sex offender here to come back to the ring
1: first of all i, I would say potential very loosely if yes <laughs> and there's this much smoke there's probably fire yeah
0: yeah I to be clear when I say potentially I'm meaning I'm just waiting for them to like officially like there's like official like payoffs official like right like you know I he's probably is most definitely is
1: (laughs) it it was the least surprising thing that ever came out about Vince McMahon because it just fits that you know classic story about the asshole CEO in corporate America and what he's able to get away with type (laughs) deals. so yeah that that was the easiest thing to buy I've ever heard about. But um, it's funny you mention that, Michael, because one of the first things that Triple H did was when he officially assumed the role of head of talent relations is he reached out to several of former wrestlers for WWE, and that Vince had released because he didn't think they were a fit for his show and this was a constant pain point between how triple h ran his roster and then what would happen to these people when they got called up to work directly for Vince, because there was always a divide between the separate visions if you will so yeah. Vince would do this all the time where he would thank some of triple h's handpicked you know prospects or whatever were not worth having on his roster. So he would just release them. Um, And they had been releasing people pretty heavily over the past year due to quote unquote budget cuts, even though they were as profitable as they've ever been uh, through the pandemic and uh, through last year. Um, So that was a bunch of BS, but uh, yeah, Triple H started re-signing some of those folks and, Uh, Some who were even recently released were given a spot on the main roster, like nothing ever happened. And that is the general feeling now that there is that animosity that some past talents have held against Vince McMahon. And that doesn't really exist between talent and Triple H with the exception of a certain someone who we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh For the most part, I think he's pretty open to bringing people back because he views this as a fresh start. And I think the town are a lot more receptive to coming back and working directly for him, uh, especially with all the changes he's made in the past month.
0: (laughs) All right. That's exciting. I mean... I'll be curious to see what happens with the storylines and stuff like that. And when we do a future episode on this, just to to check back in and see how Triple H has pedigreed. That's his, that was his finisher, right? That
1: was right. Just like the dog food.
0: Yeah. He, he, he's, he's put the pedigree to the, to, to the, to the the ring, to the, to the company. I don't know. There's a metaphor. There's some sort of like metaphor type thing in there that I can't. I I
1: appreciate (laughs) it. Yeah. But no, I I mean, speaking firsthand, it's been a lot more enjoyable to sit down and watch their shows. And I don't find myself cringing or shaking my head or just tuning out entirely as much as I was before. So things are things are looking up with the caveat of is there going to be another fallout from what else we don't know? Um, Beyond that, um, Michael, I have a question for you. Always. Do you remember
0: who Cody Rhodes is? Oof. I feel like the the name sounds familiar to me. I'm trying to place it. I'm going to say no, Rhodes. Jesse, so we can continue on. But I, I feel like I know who he is.
1: Sure. I you know, think you might remember him a little bit. But uh, he is the son of WWE Hall of Famer. Dusty Rhodes, a uh, very uh, popular wrestler from the 1980s. Um, and Cody worked for WWE from 2006 through 2016. He was part of Legacy with Randy Orton and Ted DiBiase Jr. He tagged with his brother uh Gold Dust, aka Dustin Rhodes on multiple occasions.
0: I do um, remember Gold Dust. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Everybody remembers gold dust. I mean, <laughs> he strikes a pretty, uh, a pretty stark image in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Cody was, you know, spent a decade in the company and experienced different levels of success, but uh, ultimately he wound up requesting his release uh, due to frustration with his booking and creative differences with the company. So kind of the same old song and dance that, you know, a lot of talent have had uh, during the Vince McMahon years. Um, Cody spent the next couple of years uh, working the independent scene and in the Japan promotion, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, which is, you know, for those who don't know, one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world um, other than WWE. And so he was rebuilding himself as a major presence in the industry of sorts. And, you know, was kind of earning some of that credibility back that he felt he had lost uh, during his WWE tenure. Um, And then in 2019, uh, Cody, alongside fellow wrestlers uh, Kenny Omega and tag team The Young Bucks, launched All Elite Wrestling AEW. Uh, the four of them served as executive vice presidents with Tony Khan and his father, Shahid, backing the promotion as investors. Uh, the Khans are billionaires and they're part of the ownership group of the Jacksonville Jag- Jaguars and Fulham FC, the, the soccer uh, league or football team. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want anyone listening to this in the UK and wanting to bust me up over that so uh, <laughs> uh so cody was regularly featured on AEW programming and it, he helped it become the first viable alternative to wwe in nearly 20 years from a writings and business standpoint so for those you know who don't follow wrestling this is a pretty big deal because this just doesn't happen that you know A bunch of people get together and go, hey, let's start our own company. And they actually have enough backing and the money and the vision to actually pull all this off and create another weekly television program for wrestling that can actually exist and thrive and almost compete in the same world with WWE because they've had a monopoly over this at least here in the States for, you know, like 20 years, like we said. So it's pretty crazy. Um, And however, Cody seemingly had a falling out with his fellow EVPs and does not reach terms with AEW on a new contract, departing the company earlier this year. And also wrestlers having any sort of booking power or any sort of pull or control like that in a company is increasingly like rare. That, like, that just doesn't happen. That (laughs) that would be like, you know, actors, you know, being able to, you know, and it happens sometimes where you have an actor behind the camera, but it's usually somebody who's worked at it, you know, for a long time. And that's a little more frequent. Whereas this, you know, it's a little harder to get off the ground in the first place. So You just, you don't see that very often. And then at Wrestlemania 38 this year, uh, Cody made his return to WWE. Uh, He won his match and instantly uh, became a household name with the company that he felt spurned him all those years later or earlier. Uh, His merchandise instantly sells out. His momentum is really building. It's looking like they have big plans for him. And this is still when Vince is in charge, mind you.
0: Yeah, I was uh, going to ask this. So, this does, Vince is still in charge at this point. So,
1: Vince is still in charge. I, yeah. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that WWE coming out of the pandemic, and this is probably true for a lot of live events, um, but it's just been a really hot ticket. Like everywhere they go, they seem to sell out or, you know, really bring in the audience. And maybe, that's a live event trend or maybe that's you know something that they've just been doing well you know after not having fans for over a year i will say i went to a concert last week it was it was packed full so who knows so uh he's in a good position um even with the change and who's head of creative, I would expect, you know, they still have big plans for him when he returns. Uh, He seems to be getting along well with Triple H now. Um, So, yeah, uh, he's in a good position to continue to see his career thrive. And things have not been going as smoothly for his fellow EVPs nor for the company that he helped start. And that's kind of what we're going to get into next. But yeah, Michael, I thought it was cool that he returned. I, you know, even though that's been a long time, whenever some of these guys, you know, from our teenage years come back, it's <laughs> always a kick to see them. you know, doing well and like kind of reinventing themselves in some ways.
0: I mean, I think it's pretty impressive to me that this, Cause it's sports entertainment stuff. Uh It's, it is, you know, it is acting, but it is one of the most physical, physical things out there. I think that is put out on television next to, you know, professional sports or the Olympics. But even then, like these guys are doing it so much more often. So they're putting their bodies through so much more uh rigorous. Stunts. Um That it's impressive to me when any of these guys are like, okay, cool. I, I'm coming back and I'm like, in my forties or like I'm in my, my thirties, late thirties and stuff like that. Like yeah. Cody is. Um, and it's just crazy to me that they're just like, yep, I'm going to come back and do this. And it's, they, they put on the, the t- they put on the good old tights and doing it all over again. Yeah.
1: I cut the grass the other day, my backyard and my hamstrings were a little tight after that's so <laughs> that uh, baffling to me i slept uh, I
0: slept on a different bed this weekend when I went to the uh the the wedding uh, I went to um and yeah. uh my back like revolted the next day. It was just like you slept slightly differently in a different location and I'm mad at you now, so you're gonna have back pains the rest of the day and I was like, great, wonderful
1: yeah that that happened to me moving abruptly in the wrong direction, sitting at my desk one day at work, so yeah. <laughs> Different lifestyle for us, for us, <laughs> normal folk. But uh, no, I, I think in any form of entertainment, dude, it's always cool to see somebody you remember from your childhood or teenage years return, like Brendan Fraser, like getting back into the acting spotlight again. I thought it was pretty cool. So yeah,
0: it's pretty awesome.
1: Always nice to see. As far as the old all elite wrestling goes, or not that old because they're still pretty new, um, things have been tumultuous to say the least. And there's been some speculation that maybe Cody in his role as an executive vice president was helping hold things together a little more than people thought and that his absence, you know, has kind of created a power void that now is trying to be filled by various parties. And we'll get into some of that. And I said earlier, it's crazy how much things change in a year, dude, because, you know, just this time last year, you know, we got on this show and I was pretty pumped up and enthusiastic about seeing uh, CM Punk back in the fold and that it was something that I had waited for for a long time something that you know his fans had really wanted to see for a long time and he seemed happy he seemed like he was invested again and that you know this was going to be different than his WWE run in terms of how he was able to you know perform and you know take care of himself but also you know Give back something to the industry and, you know, help out some of the young talent that, you know, wasn't that he did not give them the type of help that he didn't get when you know he was coming up through the ranks. And, you know, his debut and presence in AEW did generate a lot of buzz for the company. He had a particularly spicy feud with Maxwell Jacob Friedman, uh, better known as MJF. One of the top heels and homegrown stars in all elite wrestling, and when I say homegrown, I basically mean he didn't come from WWE, uh, but also a very good. He cuts a very good promo. He has charisma, so they together uh, created some pretty memorable moments/slash matches. Um, however. Uh, during a segment with another fellow wrestler, uh, Eddie Kingston, in November 2021, Kingston and Punk were having a segment to help build heat for a match that they were going to have at the uh, upcoming pay per view. And Kingston said this line to Punk, and it, I mean, was pretty buzzworthy then, but sitting here now, it really stands out to me. He says, no one wants you here. No one ever did. Everyone else in that locker room is afraid to say it, not me. And at the time, you kind of thought, well, these guys, you know, have some history together from their independent days with a company like Ring of Honor. Maybe there's just still some bad blood there or something like that.
0: I mean, to the to uneducated like myself, that just sounds like pretty standard like wrestling banter
1: yeah i mean it it was spicy don't get me wrong yeah it's not something that somebody would say and you'd be like oh man there's got to be some like real (laughs) life shit going on between these two you know it's it's a pretty typical like get in your face you know throw you off the game kind of line that you would say to somebody um so but that stood out to me and we'll get more into that here Um, But quickly transitioning back to MJF, uh, before the pay-per-view double or nothing in May, MJF legitimately no-shows a scheduled appearance at a fan fest coming after months of rumors of backstage tension between himself and owner Tony Khan about MJF's contract and pay. This is like a super no-no for <laughs> professional wrestlers. Like, if people have paid to stand in line and meet you and get an autograph, you are at that fucking appearance. Like, yeah. not show up and tell anybody. Um, shortly after this, on the June 1st episode of AEW Dynamite, MJF cuts a work shoot promo meaning he gets in the ring, he has a microphone, and he pretty much just says whatever the hell he wants without any regard to any scripts or approval from anybody backstage. He cuts that promo, criticizing Tony Khan. We have two cons on this episode. We're talking mm-hmm. about AW's version here. Criticizing Khan for valuing ex-WWE talent over him as a lot of former WWE superstars had signed with the company over the past year, that they can't lace his fucking boots and that Khan should fire him. And that Khan is a fucking Mark, which is wrestling jargon for someone who doesn't understand the business side of wrestling. Probably not something you want to say to your CEO.
0: Yeah. It seems a little, that that does seem a little spicy.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was really spicy. <laughs> And it was especially bizarre because after this, uh, his microphone was cut. He left through the crowd. The segment is not referenced by anyone in AEW afterward, and MJF and all of his merchandise are removed from the AEW website. So they don't acknowledge this. They don't show any replays. He's as far as their show's concerned is just gone after this, which is very odd to have a departure like that, unless it's part of a storyline, so.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. Uh, Prior to all this, Michael, uh, during a segment between CM Punk and at the time, AEW champion, Hangman Adam Page, uh, the the latter tells Punk that he is a hypocrite for championing workers' rights on Twitter when he acts the opposite backstage at AEW. I'm paraphrasing a tap there. That's more or less what he said, but we have one guy months prior to this telling Punk, nobody wants you here. No one ever did. And now we have the champion of all people telling him that he's a hypocrite for standing up for workers rights. So it's not great. hear that stuff from your peers and when you start getting that back to back like this something kind of stinks when you're watching as a fan
0: yeah that yeah that screams uh yeah Uh, i think we'll go back to where there's a smoke there's fire type situation here
1: yeah i yeah we're we're getting there um (laughs) Punk would defeat Paige for the AEW championship at that double or nothing pay-per-view. So they still did the match. Punk still got the title and it was supposed to be a crowning achievement for him at NAW at the time. He made his long-awaited return. He wins his first championship and it's going to be, it's going to be the summer of Punk. Like this is going to be great. Uh, however, that same week, suffered a broken foot and had to vacate the championship. I remember I remember this vividly not because I was watching but because we were sitting at your apartment Michael playing uh, Blades in the Dark and I just saw the notification on my phone he had, <laughs> he had to relinquish the belt. Fine. I don't, think, I don't think it affected my play that night at all but still, I was like ah, oh, well that kind of sucks. <laughs> Um, it's important to note that following these events, uh, AEW programming begins to decline in terms of creative booking and quality. And fans start to notice more of the flaws in their weekly programming now that, you know, and Punk wasn't the only one hurt. They had like Kenny Omega was hurt. Some of their other top guys and gals were out. Um so we're starting to see more of the cracks in the overall presentation, and particularly with the lack of time and importance given to the women's division. Now, this is a problem, Michael, because it's 2022, not 2002, and when you have, especially now with Triple H, you know, back in power and being able to feature the women's division and his various stars the way that he prefers, there's a pretty sharp contrast there. And it makes what AEW is doing in that regard look even poor as a result. Mm. Got a, not very, it's not very inclusive, man. It seems no. like it would be pretty obvious, but for whatever reason, they've, they seem to double down on that style of booking. So Punk returns in August. Um, I was surprised he came back so soon. I mean, if you break your foot, I feel like you're out for a while, but he returned in August, uh, supposedly fully healed uh, to continue his defense slash pursuit of the AEW championship that he never actually lost. However, During a show that Adam Page, the champion, the former champion that he defeated for the belt, during a show that Page was absent from, Punk goes off script and calls Page out for a title match, which Page cannot answer because he is not there. Punk then says on live TV, that's not cowboy shit, referring to one of Hangman's catchphrases. That's coward shit. And you owe me an apology and your apology better be as public as your disrespect was.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: I will say punk has always been a curmudgeon, um, especially in the way that he speaks when he needs to get something off of his chest. But some of the ways that he was going about his business and airing personal grievances and having that intersect with you know his job was surprising Um, but I think that segment back in May didn't sit very well with him Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. So and this has been a rapidly developing story. Uh, as recent as this Sunday, uh, which was the most recent AEW pay-per-view, uh, Punk reclaimed the championship. Um, after the show, they always have a media scrum where uh, Tony Khan will sit with you know some of the guys who won their matches at the show, and you know they'll do interviews and they kind of give it like a know like it's a real sport type of vibe Um, and so during this media scrum punk goes on an off-script tirade and goes after multiple parties including his former friend Colt Cabana whom punk had a falling out with over the fallout and lawsuits from his appearance on Cabana's podcast in 2014 where Punk told his side of the story regarding his fallout from WWE, which led to legal action taken against both parties by former WWE doctor Christopher Amon. Cabana had been employed by AEW prior to Punk's arrival in 2021, and whose role had noticeably diminished afterwards. Punk has denied that this has anything to do with him. Hangman. He also went after Hangman Adam Page, whom during that segment in May, Punk accused of going into business for himself and for being an empty-headed, fucking dumb fuck.
0: I don't think we're going to be able to monetize this episode ever, Jesse. (laughs) Uh, You got to blame blame the talent. I'm just the messenger
1: here. (laughs) Uh, He also went after. Cody Rhodes, uh, fellow EVPs, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega for being irresponsible people who called themselves EVPs and couldn't manage, I'm sorry, couldn't fucking manage a target. So these were all things that he just said off script during this scrum, not talking about the match that he had won, not talking about reclaiming his championship. Uh, not talking about really anything uh, storyline-wise that has been seen on the show, but really just throwing dirt at people for personal beef that he has uh, with these folks backstage, which don't he's done before, but not to this extent, and certainly not. Jeez, he's never been like this volatile about it.
0: Yeah, it seems th- There's a lot going on here. Like, this is pretty crazy shit you're talking about here. Like, in just how it's escalated and how it's just ramped up.
1: Well, brace yourself. Oh, there's more. (laughs) After the media scrum, an altercation took place when the Bucks and Omega confronted Punk in his locker room. A fight broke out between the parties as well as Punk's friend and trainer, Ace Steele, who was also president. Uh, Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks was hit in the eye with a chair, which sounds incredibly painful. Um, But otherwise, details about who did what and who started the fight have been reported both ways. It's kind of a he said, she said situation. Um, So, yeah, uh, he... Threw these people under the bus. Hey called his bluff and confronted them about it. And we had a, an old-fashioned middle school fight on our hands, Michael. He,
0: I mean, I was in a middle school fight before, Jesse. I don't feel like anyone threw a chair at somebody's eye. I mean, broken well, nose you might, for sure.
1: You, you might not have been in like the... Auditorium or in the gymnasium <laughs> where chair folding chairs were maybe accessible. So, you know, I, if they had been there, I, I wouldn't put it past the kid to throw a chair at somebody. <laughs> which, yeah, I guess. Which speaks to the sort of juvenile behavior by all parties involved. But so as of this recording, Um, they've been pretty tight lipped on what they're going to do moving forward because all these guys are technically still under contract to the same company. You have executive vice presidents getting involved in melees with talent. You have talent calling those guys a bunch of morons, essentially. And that's the polite way of saying it compared to how punk did. Um, But it's, it's been pretty crazy, dude. Like, nothing like this that I can recall has really happened, um, especially with all this shit just being aired publicly for people to know about. And it speaks to that void that was maybe left behind by Cody Rhodes in terms of leadership and maybe the lack thereof of, say, Tony Khan, because... Say what you will about Vince McMahon, but this type of shit doesn't happen in his company because they don't put up with that. Like, you'd be fired for doing stuff like this.
0: Yeah, it really seems to be a lesser of two evils type situation we have going on here. Yeah, that's it's not
1: great. <laughs> it's a, um, so yeah, all this has been happening since Cody departed from AEW. Um, and to kind of put the cherry on top, uh, MJF made his return to AEW after Punk's victory, his first appearance since his scathing promo back in June in an angle, setting him up as a future challenger for Punk's championship. So you're positioning one guy who called the CEO a mark and, told him to fire him, and then stormed off against a guy who basically is throwing everyone else under the bus and doing so in a very volatile way as kind of the top two guys in your company. And I can't help but think how that's playing out with all the other talent backstage, particularly those who haven't had any incidents like this with the company and maybe feel like this is not the way we should be doing business.
0: Yeah. What is with wrestling and this like performance stuff that just makes it so
1: I, you know, I kind of put that question back at you a little bit because you spent a lot of time (laughs) around actors while you were pursuing your degree. So What's the craziest thing you ever saw happen between fellow actors, Michael? Is there anything remotely close to any of this?
0: I mean, to be clear, like, obviously, like, I think that's a very big difference. Uh, here is that I look at this in the same sense of why I don't like uh MMA in the um, like, octagon fighting, just sure. because there's and, and why I try to like limit my intake of like actual fighting uh sports just because sometimes like it is very impressive i give them you know it is very like the tactical stuff how they like you know the like boxing there's very like there's different styles to do it and each style beats the other style uh mma has a lot of that stuff too um you, a lot of martial arts have those types of mo. i think of like muay thai uh that has like a whole thing that like you know Uh, A fist beats an elbow, or like I I don't remember the sequence, but it's like you know, fist beats elbow, elbow beats uh, knee, knee beats kick, but um, kick beats fist type thing. And so it's like the idea of like being able to work around your opponent and see what they're doing. And where I kind of draw the line for me is like, watch it like sometimes it just feels like watching a cockfight because when the, when they, like they aren't able to pull off each other when it's like they lose control and just, you know, there uh, I saw one recently where some guy like um, need another dude in the face while he was down um, and like lost the entire like title, if I remember correctly. And I, this is just like a snippet of um, social media or something like that. But the fact that, you know, he couldn't stop himself from kneeing the guy in the face that was when the guy when the ref was like, you know, p- we're pausing the match. Or I've seen ones where like they just like are wailing on the guy, and he's clearly like down, and the refs trying to pull him off, and it's just like you won. Like it's that's always my concern about these types of things. So that's one part of this situation, and then you add in like actors and this type of stuff. I've you know interacted um, the. It's always interesting to see like the dynamics of, and I'm not I'm not being purposely sexist here just to be clear but how many times I would see uh male actors just kind of be like yep we're in this together and just just being like whatever like we're doing it and then you know maybe sometimes there would be like some little stuff of like oh I don't think he's good for this role or like I don't like his voice or I think he's not doing this I just never felt that but from the actress side in the act the actress dressing room i heard it all the time when i was stage managing of like she doesn't know what she's doing like that type of drama but it was very back backstage uh and like behind the back type stuff so i could very easily see the like the combination of the physicality of martial arts the um performance aspect of acting because that's a big thing. I remember talking to, uh, an old friend, uh, and I use the term friend very loosely. I actually hated this guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a friend at all, but yeah, not a friend at all, but, but, but an acquaintance. Um, but we were talking about it because we were discussing like dating and he did a lot of, uh, a lot more, uh, musical stuff. So he talked about how he had dated some actresses and opera singers and had dated, uh, people that did like, um, you know, just played instruments, and he pointed out something to me, or all uh, vocalists too. He pointed out, like uh, many times, he noticed that actors and vocalists are much crazier than, and like react differently because they are putting the, the the art that they're putting out there. Right, the instrumentalist has the instrument and has the music to play through it. The actor is there, the instrument. People are judging them for themselves. And that like adds that level of hype and uh, criticism on top of themselves. So I could see the combination of the physical, uh, physical uh, requirements of like the fight, and that like, I'm putting myself out there, just slowly grinding away at people and causing these types of like massive explosions and friction. Um, and plus, I can imagine it's pretty easy, like, you know, oh, yeah, I just beat this guy up like two weeks ago. I feel it's pretty easy to be able to hit him in the head with a chair because I already did it. You know, th- that that uh, boundary has been crossed effectively. Maybe not in the same way, but at some point, in some part of your mind, you got to be like, yeah, I've already hit him in the head with a chair. I can hit him again.
1: Yeah, and Punk is not one to back down when he feels he's been, slighted or that he's getting the short end of the stick and if he feels his reputation is being spared and he has guy after guy kind of coming after him during a show and calling him out for things that are happening behind the camera that's not something that he's going to just let go and so I'm not surprised he handled it the way he did even though I haven't seen it to that extent before I don't think it's the way he should be going about his business because of the heat that he has on himself for what he's been doing and how he's been calling out various people um, including you know and that media scrub the other night on the other side I would say this is also a pretty prime example why you would not want wrestlers and and executive roles within your company because friction like this can develop. And if people think those guys, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't deserve those roles. Then there's going to be that level of animosity that's going to create a toxic work environment. And if you have a CEO who won't fire a guy who pretty much rakes him over the coals on live TV and is also willing to put his championship on another guy who is currently a lightning rod of controversy. This is not a, harm- a harmonious work environment right now. The honeymoon is over for AEW, where they were previously seen as you know maybe a safe haven for ex WWE talent who were frustrated, who had creative differences with WWE and maybe felt they would have more freedom and could get a fresh start over here. Well, now it's like, well, crap, this is is just as dysfunctional as where I came from, if, if not worse in some ways. So it's crazy to me how much has changed in just that one year's time and how quickly CM Punk has seemingly torpedoed a lot of the goodwill around his return with, you know, some of these recent actions, so nothing, n- nothing along the likes of, you know, what I've seen from wrestling in the past, like for things to switch that quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what I I, I mean, I, we're just going to talk about the segment whenever we find more about Vince McMahon again. I think we're going to have to bring this up just to know what's happening, because it seems like you talked pretty highly about um, AEW, and now it sounds like it's starting to starting to peel off into becoming just a different version of the WWE with just some of the bad choices and toxic uh, workplace stuff.
1: Yeah, but they don't they don't have anyone at the top, you know, holding anyone accountable. And this, I mean. We've worked with places that have had bad leadership, so yeah. you know where I'm coming from when I say this, but when that happens, it impacts your entire organization. and It makes it impossible, I think, for your company to thrive the way that you want because you have a bunch of grown men acting like fucking juvenile delinquents and starting fights in your locker room over you know nothing, pretty much. I mean, in their mind, it might be a big deal, but it's all just being blown way out of proportion past where it should. But yeah, I've been, it's been developing pretty fast. And again, as of this recording, that's what we know. But we'll definitely come back to this um, when we check in on Vince McMahon in the future, uh, just to see where things stand. And what's crazy, Michael, is on top of all of this, drama and friction that's happening within this wrestling company, AEW programming errors on TNT and TBS, whose parent company Warner brothers just went through a merger with discovery. And that has already led to the cancellation of God, I lost track of how many properties have gotten the ax and how many people have been laid off. And, Right now, I mean, AEW is doing good ratings still. So I think that's an attractive product for new ownership. But, you know, it, it kind of leaves their future a little bit in doubt because their TV deal expires at the end of 2023. And it would not be the first time that TNT has <laughs> chosen not to renew a wrestling show. So that's crazy that that's happening over all this. And, it's also amusing to me how that murder overlaps with, you know, all these all these different genres of content that we consume.
0: Yeah, man, I don't know what to <laughs> I don't know what to say about all this. This is crazy. I'm not even watching wrestling and I'm like I can't imagine <laughs> what it would be like. And with that, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. Uh, We try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays. It's depending on how much I'm doing that weekend. Um, Hey, if we got anything wrong, and by we, I mean, uh, Jesse, because I'm just along for the ride. uh, Feel free to email us at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Jesse would love to hear from you. I'll just kind of look at the email and go like, yep, I don't know. Um, Also, feel free to take a look at our Patreon in the description of the episode. And like always, hey, keep it real.